following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. We're back in uh, the Gospel of Mark this morning, um, chapter 1. We're going to look at all of verses 14 and 15. That's uh, page 836 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Mark 1, 14 and 15. We're going to look at Mark's first record of Jesus preaching. Um, and to be clear, this is not Jesus' first sermon. It's just in Mark's first record. Um, and it's not the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, the Gospel of John actually records a great deal that happened before this event. This is just Mark's first record of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and it follows along with um, what do I understand uh, the Apostle Peter's fundamental thought in his writing uh, and that is the kingdom of God, the establishment of the kingdom of God. And um, those of you who know me know how much I love three-point sermons. And this uh, first Mark's first record of Jesus preaching is, surprise, surprise, a three-point sermon. Uh, if you're wondering where it came from, here we are. Well, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your name. We thank you for the freedom that you've granted us to do so. We pray, Father, as we turn our attention to your word, that you'd open our eyes to see that uh, we would not just be collecting information and facts and huge stories, but that we would come in contact with the Savior, the one who loves us and died for us. May we know that you are present among us, here and working. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the account of Mark 1 of 14 and 15 takes a big jump from where we were in our text last week. Uh, if you were here, and even if you're not, I probably remember about the same. Last week, we, <laughs> last week we dealt with uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, um, how Jesus uh, is the second Adam. Uh, and where Adam came out of paradise conquered, Jesus came out of the wilderness victorious. Um, J.P. Lang wrote, Christ proceeds from the wilderness of the earth into the wilderness of human life for the restoration of paradise. That's what Jesus' purpose was. Now fast forward, we have to fast forward about a year from that account from that victory in the wilderness to the time of the arrest of John the Baptist. Um, and that's a, we'll get to our text here in just a minute. It's recorded in Luke chapter 3, verse 19. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. So John the Baptist is uh, now imprisoned by Herod, um, he didn't know it at the time by waiting execution. He would later be beheaded. And this is exactly uh, as John the Baptist had predicted himself in the Gospel of John 
in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. So this is, that's what's all happening here. John the Baptist's ministry is coming to an end as Jesus' ministry is beginning. Um, and like I said, John would later be beheaded in prison. So all that to kind of set the stage for our text this morning, Mark 1, 14 and 15. He says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, you see our three points right there. Don't ever wonder where three-point sermons came from. It was all a Jesus idea. (laughs) So don't blame me. So our three points here. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in a gospel. There they are. All three of them. No poem to go with it. So it's not an official sermon, I guess. Uh, Only old preachers get that. Sorry. Whoops. All right. <laughs> so let's look at these three points. Point number one, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. What does Jesus mean when he says this? Now, I thought um, through the miracle of technology, I was able to watch a wonderful uh, sermon here uh, this summer about how Jesus fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament. Remember, there's a handsome fella. George came and shared that message with us. And how important that is, that uh, in, in emphasizing the unity of Scripture, that the Old Testament and New Testament, not two separate works, but they work together, are in unity. And the time is fulfilled, meaning that all of those uh, predictions are coming to fulfillment. The great foreordained, predicted, and long-for time of messianic expectation had finally come. This is what the people were waiting for. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Later in the Gospels, you read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus read this at the synagogue. On a Sabbath, he read this and says, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's a pretty impressive feat. When you talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy, the the chances for um, the odds of fulfilling two or three prophecies are absolutely astronomical. But Jesus Jesus fulfilled hundreds. It's impossible. You can't, there aren't enough digits in the in the world to it's hard and and it's a lot and Jesus did it we're settled with that Jesus did it the writer of hebrews said in his work chapter 1 
He said, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These last days he's spoken to us by his son. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, 4, he said, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law. The time has fulfilled, been fulfilled. The time of the patriarchs, the time of the prophets, the time of 400 years of silence where no prophet spoke. These were all completed when Jesus stepped onto the scene. The time is fulfilled. If you are a first century Jewish person and someone comes on, uh, into town and it's now time for a new covenant, these are all language that the people understood. This was not foreign to them. It might seem a little foreign to us because we're living in a different age than they were. But for Jesus to come and say the time is fulfilled, that was a big deal to people that were hearing him then. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is very near, he says. Again, Jesus' original hearers understood this reference to the kingdom of God. It, it just wasn't the type of kingdom that they were expecting. They expected a political revolution not spiritual reformation. The problem is that people's flawed understanding of what Messiah was going to do, who he was, was that he would come as a conquering king and the people of Israel would be called to arms to fight, to fight off the yoke of Roman oppression and the, and the kingdom of Israel would rise again to prominence in the region. We can't identify with that, right? We, a nation that's in power over everyone. That's, a, that's what they wanted. And along comes Jesus to say the kingdom of God is at hand. And by the way, you have to give up all of that. That's, no. They say, but Messiah, kick out the Romans. Give us back our land. Give us back our inheritance. It's been stolen from us. And it, that's not what Jesus came to do. That's why they rejected him. They were blinded by the idea that people were their enemies, that Rome was their enemy, not that their sin and wickedness was their enemy. Good thing we don't have that problem. We're much more enlightened. We understand better than they do, right? People are not their enemies. Their own sin or their own wickedness was the problem, not Rome. Their expectation was that they'd be included in a messianic kingdom because they are children of Abraham. They were counting on the blood of Abraham coursing through their own veins not the blood of the Messiah himself. 
But as we know, the gates of the kingdom of God that Jesus came preaching, they're not relation to Abraham. I'd be willing to bet the large majority, if not 100% of us, have no relation to Abraham at all. If you're not of Jewish descent, you're not related to Abraham by blood. However, we are in relation to Abraham through faith, through faith in Jesus. The gates of the kingdom of God are not relation to Abraham, but they are repentance and faith in Jesus. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to set up was not a nation like they were thinking, but a family which was foreign. A family not by bloodline through Abraham, but through the blood of Jesus and faith in him. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, these first two points have been pretty quick. Uh, These are more complicated. Now, I don't know about you, but I like being right. I'm the only one I can tell. And maybe it's not the being right that I like so much, but I know I don't like being wrong. So anytime I can avoid that, I'm happy. And the more we continue this study in Mark, uh, well, it's not as much fun as I was hoping. Because the more I see it, I have been wrong about how I've thought about a lot of things. So we're going to stop studying, Mark, and we'll go to something easy. <laughs> Keep my assumptions right where they are. If you remember, I remember, if you remember, I was wrong about why Jesus was baptized. A few weeks ago, we talked about that. And then I was wrong about why Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Last week, we talked about that. But that's fine. But then this week, I look at this, and I'm wrong again. You get another opportunity to see my ignorance and presuppositions. You're welcome. Here's what I mean. When you think about the gospel, think about the word of gospel, what do you think of? Someone's preaching the gospel, what do you think of? Okay, you said all at once. I don't know if you're right or wrong. You think of truth? You think I was right? No, we were right. Oh, you were right. That's probably true. Okay. Good news. But the content. What, when I preach a good news, what does that mean? Okay, Jesus is involved. That's, all right. It's death and resurrection. What it takes to be saved. All right. Well, you're not all wrong, but mostly. I had the same problem. So, now think about this. Is, is Christ's death on the cross central to the gospel or not? Yes, absolutely it is. But is that the complete gospel? No, it's not. Well, I'm glad that you so quickly adopted the correct, the correct answer. Happy with me being wrong. Mark 1.15, Jesus said, Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus, okay? He said these words. They're in red in the Bible sometimes. That helps you. 
In Mark 1.15, Jesus did not say, in about three years, I'm going to be crucified in your place for your sin. God raised me from the dead. Huh. Now, here's the problem I have with that. Jesus said, believe in the gospel, but it hadn't, all that I thought about the gospel hadn't happened yet. Do you see the problem? My thinking has always been about what Jesus has done and what we must do in response, right? But the gospel is not a call to respond to historical facts. Jesus died and rose again. That's the truth. That's a fact. You can believe in that. But that's not all the gospel is. How can Jesus preach, uh, say, believe in the gospel if he's talking about things that not happened yet? What, and people did not understand that. These were the words that he used. I've always thought about what do in response. But when we respond merely to historical facts like that, to events, that type of Jesus is a dead Jesus. It's past tense. It's just affirmation of historical facts, like George Washington, first president of the United States. So what? It's a fact. Big deal. Only make much difference if you're a history teacher. We can treat Jesus the same way. Affirmation of historical facts, saying, yes, that's true, that type of faith is not faith at all. It's, it's just intellectual assent. Say, yes, that's true. Those facts are true. Merely agreeing with history. But that keeps Jesus in the past tense. Let me read this again from Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds, present tense, the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, that's the death on the cross, resurrection, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Why is that important? Because Jesus is alive. It's not just a past facts. Believing, is the, believing in the gospel is not just believing that Jesus died on a cross, 
or rising again. It's not just believing what Jesus did. It's believing Jesus now. That Jesus is alive now. That he's at work now. That he's really real now. That he is present with us now. Certainly, we, we mustn't forget the facts and acts of Jesus. But our faith is empty without the person of Jesus. When Jesus calls people to repent and believe in the gospel, he is calling people to turn from their sin and trust in the very manifestation of the kingdom of God. And that is the saving presence of Jesus Christ. Christ himself among us. I've often said that repentance is turning uh, turning from our sin to God. Right? 180 degree turn. And it is that. But it's more. It's a turning away from our previous object of trust. And that's ourselves. Turning from our previous king, that Heath is the kingdom, the king of the kingdom of Keniston, and I am the only one I can count on to do it right. I'm glad none of you have ever struggled with that thinking at all, that you are the king or queen of your own realm. Repentance is turning from your previous object of trust was yourself your own strength and your own wisdom and turning to a new object of trust. A new king, the king of all kings, Jesus Christ himself, not just a historical Jesus, but living Jesus now. Christ Jesus himself, he is alive. I can't believe I always thought this way. That the gospel is just about what Jesus did back then. And I can have faith in that. Yes, he died on a cross for my sin. That's huge. But then what? We walk with Jesus now by faith. He fills us with his Holy Spirit, his presence in us now by faith. We can't forget that. We forget that when we sin. Right? We choose our way. Because, well, you know, he's not watching right now. He is. The Holy Spirit is in us by faith in Jesus. So every time he sin, every time we sin, he is there, present with us, heartbreaking. So why would you choose that? Why would you choose that over what I have for you? The time is fulfilled. Messiah has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance and faith are the gates of that kingdom. So repent and believe in the gospel. Have faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross in the past. Have faith that God raised him from the dead in the past. And have faith that he will be present with you 
from now into eternity. If you don't like being with Jesus now, heaven is going to be a real drag for you. Our picture of heaven is we finally get all the stuff that we want. Right? Everything you ever dreamed of comes true. That promise is not scripture. That's not from God. What we get, the blessing that we get in eternity is to see Jesus face to face. To be present with him forever. I get to see all my loved ones and the fishing in that river from the tree of life is going to be great. No! We get to be with Jesus forever. You will not care about another thing. But if you don't like him now, it's going to be a long time in eternity and you'll be bored. I pray that's not the case for you. Engage with Jesus in his presence now, not just in the past. He is with us by the power of his Holy Spirit to the very end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I say over and over again, we love you. I pray that we really would. I pray that we not just say the words, not just um, act the part, But our desire would be to be with you where you are. That our eyes would be looking forward to your eternal kingdom. Come here on earth. That we would enjoy your presence now. That we would not just agree with the facts that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, rose on the third day, ascended to God the Father. All those facts are true. But let us not forget that we have a personal living Savior who wants to walk with us, carry us through our trials, help us to fight temptation. I pray, Lord, that your presence among us would be very real to us, not imaginary, not just emotional, but real, tangible, that we might live lives that bring glory and honor to you. We pray over and over, be with this person, be with that person. You are. You are already there. You are with us. May we never forget. May we be constantly looking for you. We do love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.